anyway, today, you guys, um, I am super excited to teach you guys the word. And we are going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18, in a message entitled, Unveiled Face. Unveiled Face. And I'm super excited to teach you guys this today uh, because, uh, was anyone here on Wednesday night? Um, I know I saw some of you. On Wednesday night, I mentioned how one of my favorite things, or I don't know if I said it exactly like this, but essentially what I said was one of my favorite things to talk to people about is how God wants to have a close relationship with you. You see, God's not in the business of having this like, you know, you're way over there and he's way over here type of relationship. He wants to be close to you and he wants you to be close to him. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about later in the message what that, that term unveiled face kind of means. But the gist of today's message is that God wants to, wants to have that personal relationship with you. And he wants you to know him in an intimate and personal way. But I want to ask you guys, this may seem off topic, but it's not. Um, do any of you have like really bad vision? Like you just, you can't see. Um, I, some, the people that are raising their hands that don't have glasses on, do you have your contacts in right now? If you say no, then your vision must not be that bad. But I'm talking about like this, you guys, like to where the world literally looks like this without your glasses. Logan, you're, you're saying, yep, without my glasses, that's what it looks like. Um, yeah, thankfully, at this point in my life, I've had pretty good vision. I hope that means I'll continue to have good vision. But I know that as you get older, sometimes your um, vision deteriorates. But the reason why I'm bringing this up today, you guys, is because in the portion of scripture that we're going to look at today, we're going to see about how uh, you know, the difference between those who lived in the, in the Old Testament under what's called the Old Covenant, how it was like they had a relationship with God that wasn't a super close relationship. It was almost like it was a blurry relationship, okay? But you and I, it's like we get to put the glasses of Christ on. There are no literal glasses of Christ, so don't think like, where are these glasses? I have to have them. Um, that's not what I'm saying, but Jesus Christ gives us this clarity where we can have a close and clear view of who God is. It's like we're putting the glasses on because we get to know God in such a personal way. You guys have relationships in your life. You have friendships. You have uh, relationships within your family. You have father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter, so on and so forth, brother-sister. You have these personal relationships, and God wants to have an even closer relationship with you than that. And that is the awesome thing about us as New Testament believers, as those who are under the new covenant, everybody say new covenant. We are all, if you are a Christian, you are under the new covenant. Who do you think ushered in the new covenant? Jesus did. He ushered in the new covenant. And we're going to talk more about that uh, later in the message. But you guys open to 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. No? Well, get there quick, because we're about to start. All right? And if you don't have a Bible and you would still like to grab one, they are in the back for you. Just go ahead and go grab one right now. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of verses today. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through 18. We're going to read it all together, so bear with me here. It's a good chunk of scripture, but it's not crazy long. But Paul says to the church of Corinth, he says, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory, had no glory in this respect, 
because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would magnify your word in our hearts today. Lord, that you would give us understanding into these deep truths, Lord, that your word presents to us this morning. God, that we would learn just how fortunate and blessed we are to be under the new covenant, Lord, where we get to know you because of what Christ has done for us, because of how he died according to the scriptures. He died on the cross, Lord, for our sins, and he rose again three days later. And because of this, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we get to know you firsthand. We get to know you as our heavenly father. So he asked that you would teach us during this time in Jesus name. Amen. All right. If you guys are taking notes, our first of three points is going to be number one, the ministry of death, or you can put death slash condemnation. Paul uses both of these terms referring to this certain ministry that he says was glorious, but it's not the current ministry, which is the current ministry. The new covenant is the ministry of the spirit. We'll get to that eventually. But what he says in verse seven, we just read it, but I want to remind you, he says, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, Bible students, those who have read the old Testament, what do you think he's referring to when he says written and engraved on stones? Just say it. The Ten Commandments, exactly. He says, written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So in some of the earliest portions of the Bible, you guys, we learn about how God set apart this one nation. What was that nation? Israel. God sets the people of Israel apart from the rest of the nations and says that they are his special people and he wants to be their God. He wants to be their king. He wants to be their ruler, the one that they obey and the one that they worship. In the book of Exodus, you guys, we learn about how Israel was enslaved in this land. What was that land? Egypt. Yeah. And they were enslaved for 400 years, a very, very long time, multiple generations. But God used this guy, what was his name? Moses. Moses. They, he used Moses to deliver Israel out of their Egyptian bondage, out of their slavery in Egypt. And uh, by the way, you know, in all, the way I do my PowerPoints, you don't have to write every single word down, just write what's important. But God, he uses Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And you know, what's that one sea that ends up parting before the Israelites? You guys know it? The Red Sea, right? They stand at the shores of the Red Sea. The Egyptian armies, Pharaoh, are pursuing Israel. And they're at, it's like they're at the shores of a, just a massive ocean, basically. It's more, it's more like what we would think as an ocean because it's so big, right? And the wall, the waters part, and it's like there are walls of water on each side of the children of Israel, and Moses leads them out, and then Pharaoh and his armies are engulfed by the waters. 
And so after all of this, Israel goes on to wander in the wilderness. And they wandered in the wilderness because they were stubborn and they rejected the Lord. And after, after all of this, about roughly three months into their wandering in the wilderness, they ended up wandering in the, the wilderness for about 40 years. But about three months into their wandering, Israel, they encamped, they set their camp near this place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. You guys might be familiar. But if not, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. This mountain, Mount Sinai, Israel kind of camps out around the mountain. And Moses is called up to the top of the mountain by God for a specific purpose. And it's at that mountaintop where God will give Israel the Ten Commandments and the law. And the Ten Commandments and the law, you guys, is, is what is being referred to here by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as this ministry of death written and engraved on stones. And we can kind of just sum all of, all of the law, all of the, uh, all of the Ten Commandments, all of the things that God told Israel, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. We can sum all of that up in the Old Covenant. Everybody say Old Covenant. So you know that in your Bible, there are Old and New Testaments. This is a very similar thing, that there was an Old Covenant that God made with Israel, and he said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. And God says, if you keep my covenant, I'm going to bless you. But in the day that you break my covenant, you shall surely die. And it's pretty intense. It's like this mutual agreement. It's like this handshake almost. You know how like when you close a deal or when you're, you know, you're talking to someone and you're like, give me your word and you shake on something, right? It was like they were shaking hands with God saying, we will keep our end of this covenant. God says, I will keep my end of this covenant. But who goes on to break the covenant? The Israelites, right? And we're no different than the Israelites. We are all guilty of breaking God's perfect law. It was this mutual agreement between Israel and God, but Israel was never really able to keep the old covenant. They were never able to keep their end of the deal and walk in obedience to God as he commanded them to. And it wasn't that God was giving them like this impossible things to, to do and not do. It, was like, it wasn't like God was saying, hey, I want you to uh, you know, jump off a cliff and I want you to fly. It's like, that's impossible. Why would God command that? He didn't. He was just saying things like, I want to be the only one that you worship. I want, to be, I, I want to be the very first thing in your life. I don't want you to murder. I don't want you to steal so on and so forth. He was saying these things to them, but unfortunately, they were unable to keep it. And you and I are just like Israel. We have a sin nature which causes us to break God's perfect and holy law. But what we have to understand about the old covenant, you guys, is it was the do's and don'ts. It never really brought someone to know God personally. There was some sort of relationship, kind of like what we described in the illustration. There was some sort of blurry relationship, but there was no personal relationship. There were exceptions in the Old Testament of guys who, you know, like Adam and, and Noah and Moses who walked with God, Enoch walked with God and ended up being taken up by God. But for the most part, man's relationship with God was not a personal relationship. But God wanted to know them personally, but because of their stubbornness and rejection of him, he was not known by them personally. And also, because in the Old Testament, you guys, we see that there is this unapproachableness to God, not unapproachableness in the sense of like God's, God says, you know, I don't want anything to do with you guys, but unapproachableness in the sense of God is so holy and dwells in marvelous light that no man can approach him. And in Exodus 19, you guys, we read of how God, he manifests himself to Israel in their wandering in the wilderness. Don't write down, obviously, the whole verse right there, but just write down the reference. 
Exodus 19, 9 through 12, and then shortly after that, we're going to look at 16 through 20. But you can just look to the screens rather than turning in your Bible. It says, this is Israel wandering to lay the scene out. This is Israel. They're in the wilderness. They're encamped at Mount Sinai. And this is what happens. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in a thick, in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourself that you do not go up the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the, the mountain shall surely be put to death. And then in verses 16 through 20, that same chapter, a little later on, it says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings. I just thought in my mind it would have been cool if like, we queued up some sounds right when I said that of just thunder and lightning, just all the bass in here going crazy. But that's, that's, the, that's the scene essentially, is that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on, a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. They were shaking. They were terrified. Wouldn't you be? You see this thick cloud descend upon the mountain. There are these just massive thunderings and lightnings, and you're standing there, and you know this is the Lord, and you're like, it's terrifying. It says in verse 17 that Moses, he brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. This, its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. You know what that scene may have looked like? This is just a, a visual depiction, but we can show it. This is kind of what it may have looked like. All of Israel, the millions of Israelites, are gathered at the base of this mountain. They see this thick cloud, this thick smoke descend upon the mountain. There are thunderings. There are lightnings. They hear the very voice of God, and they are terrified. This is a terrifying scene. Imagine you go camping to the mountains and you see this thing, right? You see this black smoke descend upon the mountain that you're about to go up for your camping trip and you hear thunderings and you hear lightnings. You would be like, what in the world is going on? But this was the very presence of God. This was God revealing himself to Israel. See, this was no doubt a terrifying moment. For everyone who was there, the people who saw and heard these things, they were trembling. They were shaking. I think we would all be doing the same thing if we were there. And it's so crazy for us, New Testament believers, New Covenant believers, to think of God's presence in this way, but it's what the Bible tells us his presence was like in the Old Covenant. God dwelled, there was this unapproachableness. God said to the Israel, don't come too close to the mountain because I'm going to descend upon it and I'm so holy that if you touch this mountain, you will die. This is crazy. This for sure put a sense of holy fear in the children of Israel that would have inclined them, motivated them to want to obey this God that just revealed himself to them in this way. But Moses, he ends up being called, the ver you know, in uh, the end of verse 20 there that we just looked at, it says, and Moses went up. God called him up to the mountaintop and Moses went up. And God tells Moses while he's up there, he says, I want you to go back and warn them not to come too close. Tell Israel, don't come too close, otherwise they will die. 
And it would be upon this mountaintop that God himself would meet with Moses for the purpose of giving his laws and precepts for him to then communicate to the children of Israel. See, what we need to understand about this scene of God giving the law on top of Mount Sinai here is this was truly a glorious moment. We don't think of the glory of God in this way, but according to the Bible, this was a glorious moment. God's glory was being revealed to them. And like we talked about earlier, Israel obeying and and keeping these these laws and precepts that God would give them would be them keeping their covenant, their end of the covenant with God, which, you know, they failed miserably at. And you and I do as well. We fail miserably at keeping God's perfect law. But we must ask ourselves at this point, if this was a glorious thing, if God giving the law to Israel was truly a glorious thing, then why in the world would Paul, 1,500 years later, around 1,500 years later, refer to this glorious law as the ministry of death and condemnation? Doesn't it seem like, well, hold on, he says it's glorious, but then he says it's the ministry of death and condemnation, which that doesn't sound so glorious. See, what we need to understand is that the law presented a standard of holiness that no one could perfectly achieve. No one except Christ. You see, you and I, if we were alive at the time of the children of Israel, and if we were an Israelite, we would have been no different because we have this sin nature within us that causes us to want to disobey God's law and choose our own way and live for ourselves. We break the law all the time. The law presented a standard of holiness that they could not have fulfilled, nor can you and I. And because, of, because no one could fulfill it, because you and I can't fulfill it, it brings about death, which is, which is why Paul refers to it as the ministry of death. And this is the whole reason why, you know what God tells uh, Moses, like right after giving him the laws and the precepts, you know what he goes on to tell Moses? He goes on to give Moses instructions on what Israel is to do when they break the law. He goes on to talk all about sacrifices and how they're to make atonement for their sins because he knew they would break it. And Paul, the guy who wrote what we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians and a lot of the New Testament, he understood the function of the law for us as New Testament believers. In Romans 7, 10 through 11, it says, And the commandment, or commandments, or you could say the law, which was to bring life. Did you know that God gave the law not to bring death? but to bring life. But in breaking the law, death came about. But he says, the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. And what Paul's essentially saying there in Romans 7 is he's he's saying, it's not the law's fault it can't save me. It's my fault the law can't save me because I am a breaker of the law. I am the one who has broken the covenant. God didn't give a broken covenant. He gave a perfect covenant with mankind in the Old Testament with the law. But we broke it. We've all broken it. And in Galatians 3.19 and also verses 24 through 25, note down the reference. Paul, he, he states the purpose of the law so clearly here, so clearly. He says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. You guys notice how seed, I know it's kind of small on the screen, but you know how seed, you see it there, has a capital S? It's referring to Jesus. The law was given for the, because of sin until Jesus should come. And in verse 24, he says, therefore, the law 
was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You guys, have you ever had a tutor? Someone who, what does a tutor ultimately do? They help you what? They help you with school. When you're not understanding something, the tutor helps you to understand, right? Many of us have had tutors, all right? When you, yeah, whether it be your sister, whether it be uh, someone who's even hired, you sometimes will pay a tutor. It could be your parents. Many of us have had someone with our schoolwork who helps us understand something that we're not getting. And the law was given to help us understand that we need a savior, that we can't do it on our own, that salvation can't be achieved through works. And the law helps us to understand that. The law was given to help us understand our need for Christ. And God giving the law to the children of Israel, you guys, like we talked about, was truly a glorious thing. So much so, this is how glorious that moment really was, that when Moses experienced that moment with the Lord, God's glory literally shined upon him. And when Moses came back down the mountain, we read in Exodus 34 that his face was literally glowing. Like, uh, not figuratively, his face was shining. Like, like it was a star almost. It, ha- it was beaming light. And in Exodus 34, 29 through 35, we read of this. Sorry, it's so small, but it's just kind of there for you to follow along if you want to. It says in Exodus 34, 29, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he was talking with him, him being God. Moses had no idea that his face was even glowing. He's walking down the mountain, and everybody starts looking at him funny. And that not only do they start looking at him funny, they start looking away from him. It says in verse 30, So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face, like a covering. Uh, And then, excuse me, verse 34, he says, But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whatever the children, whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses's face shone. Then Moses would put the veil, the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So it would have looked something like this, you guys. This is the image that we get from this portion of scripture that Moses descends from Mount Sinai and like we just read, literally his face is shining. And you see the people in the picture there who are looking away from Moses. If, if Moses' face was shining from being with the Lord in that glorious moment, wouldn't you say God giving the law was a glorious thing? 100%. God's glory was all over it. But just like the glory, the shining on Moses' face, did it last forever? No, it, it would not last forever. Moses didn't live the rest of his life with just this super bright, shining face. It would eventually fade, just like the glory of the old covenant would eventually fade. It would only shine for a time. Our second point today, if you guys are taking notes, this is the ministry that you and I are more acquainted with. The one that we live under as Christians is the ministry of the Spirit. And we see this in verse 8 through 11. It says in verse 8, How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the 
ministry of condemnation, that's what we just talked about, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So Paul, he goes on from talking about this ministry of death and condemnation, and he talks about this other ministry, the ministry that is far more glorious than the ministry of death. And that's what we're talking about right now, the ministry of the Spirit. But what is the ministry of the Spirit, you guys? It's this, that when Christ died and rose again, we read all about this in the Upper Room Discourse. We talked a little bit about the Upper Room Discourse on Wednesday night when Jesus is with the disciples and he's telling them of what's going to happen to him. And he tells them of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them of the ministry of the Spirit, which is that the Holy Spirit of God When you become a believer, everybody look at me. We don't always recognize this. If you call yourself a believer, do you know that the very Holy Spirit of God that we read about in his word comes into you and lives in you? You literally have the Holy Spirit of God in you, living in you. And this is what Paul is saying is this ministry of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit of God that Christ brought about through his death and resurrection. You see, because Christ died and rose again, all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, all who call upon Christ's name, all who call upon the Lord will be saved. And not only will we be saved from eternal punishment, the Holy Spirit comes in. And as Jesus says, the Holy Spirit makes his home in us. And this is an essential part, absolutely essential part of the new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. This is the covenant that you and I are under, is the new covenant, the better, more glorious covenant, where we get to have the Holy Spirit living with us. And it's by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we can have an intimately close relationship with God. Our vision's not blurry anymore. It's like we put the glasses on and we have a clear view of who God is. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit draws us near to God as we walk in the Spirit. As we obey the Spirit in us, we draw nearer and nearer to God. And we get to have a close relationship with God. It's amazing. And this ministry is far more glorious than the old covenant. Where in the old covenant, remember what God told Israel? It was like he told them, don't come too close. Don't come too close to this mountain in my presence. Whereas in the new covenant, God says, come come enjoy my presence. You see, the ministry of the Spirit is so greatly superior to the old covenant that Paul, he says, these two are, are hardly even comparable. This used to be glorious, but this is so much better. The ministry of the Spirit is so much better. It's like this. If you were in a dark room, a candle would be pretty helpful, right? But when you compare a candle to the sun, They are literally not comparable. There's no comparison. If the old covenant was like a candle, then the new covenant is like the sun, far more glorious. You see, those who were under the old covenant, it's like they related to God from a distance. But we, under the new covenant, get to relate to God as our heavenly father. Because like we learned in Romans 8.15, like we just had a summer camp on, we've been giving, given the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In the Old Testament, the new covenant was actually prophesied of in the book of Jeremiah. The verses will be on the screen for you guys. It says in Jeremiah 31, 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord." I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. This is the new covenant that was brought about, that was ushered in by Jesus in his death and resurrection on behalf of the sin of the world. This is the covenant that we live under as believers. And we, this is amazing that we truly get to know God in a relational way. Not in a merely religious way where it's just we're doing stuff for God. We get to have a relationship with him. Because we've been forgiven by Christ. And our last point, you guys, the best, the best out of the three points, is the results of the more glorious covenant. Remember, the ministry of the Spirit, the new covenant, is the more glorious covenant. But what are the results of the new covenant? Well, we see in verses 12 through 18, therefore, since we have such hope, referring to the new covenant, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one trusts the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord." You see, it's as though Paul says, he says, because we have this amazing and glorious ministry of the Spirit, here are the benefits of that ministry. Here are the benefits of the new covenant. And the first thing that you can write down under this point of, third point of the results of the more glorious covenant, you can put it as point one, point A, whatever you want to do, uh, but is great boldness of speech. Great boldness of speech. That's what he says at the end of verse 12. He says, we use great boldness of speech. And this is not to say that we come to God in an arrogant and irreverent way, but rather we have the boldness of a child coming to their father who loves them. And the word boldness that Paul uses here, the word literally means freedom of access. We have a freedom of access to God. This video, it's, it, I didn't include the video, but I included a picture. I love this video, though, because I think it perfectly displays what Paul is saying here. There's this military ceremony going on, um, and, and I don't know exactly what the ceremony was. But during, this middle, during the middle of this military ceremony, you guys see the soldiers right there all dressed up in their camouflage? During the middle of this very serious ceremony, this little girl sees her dad, and she's maybe two years old. She sees her dad, and she doesn't care about the ceremony. She sees her dad, and she runs to him and hugs him, and her dad stoops down to hug her back. This is a beautiful thing. And it's like what Paul is saying here, that this is like how it is with us in our heavenly father. This is how it is with us in God. That we can run to him 
with freedom of access to him and he will not turn us away because he loves us so dearly and he delights in being close to us. But this, this access to God that we now have, this access as him as, him as our heavenly father, it wasn't always this way. The old covenant was not like that. But the new covenant because of Christ was. You guys know that when Christ died upon, upon the cross, the veil of the temple, it says, was torn in two from top to bottom. If you don't know much about the Old Testament temple, there was this giant, I mean literally giant, like 60 feet high. 60 feet is, is what you know, church tradition tells us that this curtain was about four inches thick. This is, this is a fabric that is like four inches thick. Imagine a curtain, not like the, the folded part of the curtain is this thick. The literal curtain is four inches thick. And when Jesus, the very moment that he breathes his last on the cross, the veil of the temple, the curtain, which separated the Holy of Holies the very presence of God on earth in the Old Testament was manifested in the Holy of Holies. And the only one who could go into the, holies, the Holy of Holies was a priest who could only go in there once a year to make atonement for the people. But when Jesus died, the symbolism of the veil being torn is that you and I and all who would believe in Christ now have access to God himself, unhindered access because of Christ. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, it says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And I want you guys to write down this next thought, if you will. You see, it's as though God told those in, in, in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai. You remember that moment, how we talked about the glory of the Lord descending upon Mount Sinai, the smoke, the thundering, the lightnings. It's as though God told them there in that moment, don't come too close. He literally said that. Don't come too close to the mountain. Don't come too close to my presence. Whereas us in the New Testament, as new covenant believers, it's like God tells us, come closer, my son, my daughter. It's powerful. That God wants you to draw close to him because he loves you. Paul says in verses 14 through 15 that those who seek to know God, those who seek to have a relationship with God by simply keeping the law and, and not believing in Christ by their own righteousness, by keeping the law, he says they have blinded minds and veiled hearts. This is mainly referring to the Jews and the legalists, but it is only through Christ that the blinders can be removed and the veil of the heart can be removed. But that's not the only benefit. Great boldness of speech is not the only benefit of the more glorious covenant. The next one is the liberty of the spirit. Point B or point two, however you do it. The liberty of the spirit. And you know, when it's, this is a very popular verse. It says, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Some of you might have that one memorized. That's a great verse. And we might be inclined to think that what's being said in this verse is that, you know, through the spirit, we have liberty from sin. And that's absolutely true. That's 100% true. But within the context of what Paul is saying here is that not only do we have freedom from sin, we've been given liberty from the law. The ministry of death by the Spirit of God. We have a better ministry. The Spirit delivers us from the law and to Christ Jesus, our Savior. See, there's, there's legalism and then there's liberty. Legalism is, is, is works-based righteousness. That I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that to make God love me. 
Whereas the liberty of the spirit is recognizing that he already loves you. And because he loves you, you want to obey him. There's a big difference between the two. And the Holy Spirit, he sets us free from the bondage of legalism. Sorry if you're taking notes. If, uh, if you didn't get all of this slide, you can come back and see me after service. I'll get you the rest of it. But our third point of this is beholding him with unveiled face. The third benefit, the third result of the more glorious covenant is beholding him with unveiled face. Our title today was Unveiled Face. And because of this great and glorious ministry of the Spirit, because of Christ, we can behold the glory of the Lord. There's nothing that stands between us and God. The Spirit allows us to, in a figurative sense, not a literal sense, don't get weird, but in a figurative sense, the Spirit allows us to see God. Now, we, know, we don't physically see God, but the Holy Spirit in us creates in us this relationship with God, this desire to know Him. This is such a beautiful thing, you guys, that we get to know God in this intimate way. In John 17, 3, this verse we looked at on Wednesday night, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then the final result of the more glorious covenant, you guys, is being transformed by the Spirit. Being transformed by the Spirit. You see, a major, major part of the ministry of the Spirit, a major part of what the Holy Spirit does in you is he transforms you. He makes you more like Jesus day by day. This is the word that we common the, the word that we commonly use is sanctification, which is this day by day work of the Holy Spirit in you to make you more like Jesus. Now, no one can really become like Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. There may be people who seek to live a moral life without God, but they'll never become like Jesus. But you and I, because of the Holy Spirit in us, as we yield to the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit does this work in us of transformation, transformation from who we were to Christ. The word transformation or being transformed that Paul uses here in the end of verse 18, the word is, is literally the word where we get metamorphosis from. You guys remember metamorphosis in school? Did anyone ever do a project where like your classroom, you got caterpillars and then you, you know, gave them the food and stuff they needed. And over time you watch them crystallize and then become butterflies. Did anyone do that project? They still do that in school? I hope so, because it's pretty amazing. And the glory of God is all over it because it's, it's, it's only God can do that. But it's the same word. You see the, the, I know it's kind of small at the bottom, but you see that kind of transformation cycle at the bottom right of how that caterpillar goes from being what it was to being transformed into this beautiful butterfly. God wants to do a work of transformation in, in you. Taking you from the caterpillar you used to be into a beautiful butterfly which resembles Christ. Now, I'm not saying Christ is a butterfly, right? Don't get weird. But what I am saying is God wants to transform you by his Holy Spirit. And worship team, you guys can come on out as we close. You guys, I pray that today you became maybe just this much more, hopefully a lot more, but this more appreciative of what Christ has done for you, of the ministry of the Spirit, how Christ imparted to you his own righteousness, which is the gift of salvation. You see, the old covenant, like we talked about, it had its purpose and it had its glory for its time. But we're not under the old covenant. And thank God 
We are not under the old covenant. We are under the glorious new covenant of Christ. And it's far more glorious than the old covenant because like we looked at, it, it allows us to be forgiven of our sin by Christ and have everlasting life with God where we will get to know him and we already get to know him. It gives us boldness to run into the presence of our father. Just like that little girl in that example, how she ran to her father in the midst of a, a, a formal military ceremony. She runs to her father because she knows she has that freedom of access to her father. And you and I have that freedom of access to our heavenly father. It gives us liberty from the bondage of legalism. I pray you would never learn the bondage of legalism and that you would always walk in the liberty of the Spirit. And also, it allows us to intimately know God in such a way that the old covenant could never do. And as we yield to the Spirit in our lives, we will be transformed by Him. Let's pray. Lord, we, wow, we can't even hardly put into words, Lord, how blessed we are to be covered by your blood, Jesus, Lord, to be forgiven by you and to be those who are under the new covenant where we're forgiven of our sin, God, and we get to know you. May we always take that so seriously, Lord. May we never lose our sense of wonder for the gospel, for what you've done, Lord Jesus. Lord, that you've made a way for us to be in heaven, of course. And we're looking forward to that day. But you also made a way for us to know you, the Father, so personally because you gave us your Holy Spirit. It's, it's the beautiful work of the Trinity, Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all playing their roles in our lives, Lord. And we're just, just we're, we're in awe of your majesty, Lord. God, we pray that we would live our lives in such a way that the most important thing is obeying and knowing you and loving you not out of legalism, but out of liberty of the Spirit. We give you this time of worship, Lord. We ask that you would help us to live these things out in Jesus' name.